Welcome in to another edition of Heat Check. It is Wednesday, October 28th, and we're talking reactions for the first week of the Big Ten. Also, what to preview on what I would say is a relatively dull week of game picks, but the bright side of it, we have the Pac-12 returning next week, so we, we can deal with we can deal with a down week. Got Griffin Peters with me. I'm Gabe Swartz. No Peyton Gallagher today. I think he will be back with us next week. But let's start, Griffin. The game that had us uh, – it was fiery in our, in our heat check GM on Saturday night. Uh, you and I were on the same page. Peyton was not. Uh, the Penn State-Indiana debacle. First of all, let's just get to it. Um, this should not have happened. This, it never should have gotten to this point, right? No, it, it really shouldn't have. I mean, this is a game we talked about. You know, we talked about last week, Penn State. And I, one of my big things to watch this weekend was how are they going to play, you know, missing two of their key players not playing this season. And they didn't look very good. This is, I mean, Indiana team, that's scrappy. Let's, I'm going to give credit where credit's due. Indiana battled in this game. You know, coming in as, you know, significant home underdogs. I mean, they weren't supposed to be in this game. And they, it was a battle the whole time. Sean Clifford made mistakes early. He didn't look anything really super impressive. And that's a little disappointing knowing, you know, the hype he had coming in this year. I know we talked about all the way back before the season started. And you, Sean Clifford is one of your guys. And I really like that take because I like what I saw out of him the previous year. And I really thought, you know, Penn State could be a program that this year could make some noise. and Not beat Ohio State per se, but at least make it a game and, you know, make it at least an entertaining watch. Now, unfortunately, that's going to be one of the games this weekend that was supposed to highlight, you know, the slate this weekend, which is fairly weak now that you look at it. And unfortunately, I just don't think it's going to be that after what I saw. The play, obviously, that stands out to me, the one that ends the game, that, but we don't, we don't even get there. And it's crazy because you kind of saw the same thing happen twice this weekend. You saw once yeah. on college football Saturday. You saw it once on NFL Sunday. Devin Ford and Todd Gurley both made the same mistake. They went into the end zone when they should have gotten down. Their team was up. You go down. You waste the clock. Kick the field goal. You end the game. Which one's worse? Which one's worse in your mind? Todd Gurley's because for I mean, who that's a take. It, yeah, because it, it looked like Devin Ford, when he was going into the end zone, he really it, – it's not that he didn't have an idea. I'm sure being a football player, you know that situation in your head. But it looked like he was running, and he had no second thoughts. Like, he was just going in. Tom Gurley tried to go down, and he just fell too – he fell too late. He made the decision way too late. So, we get there. Indiana comes down, scores – course it's just the way it's going to come right and then we have the overtime period and both teams score but indiana goes for two and you have penix reaching to the goal line and controversial call one i know we're going to talk about here in a second but either way bad call or not penn state didn't deserve to win that game and they didn't so at the end of the day you can't be upset for a controversial call because you had the game in control Pretty upsetting first week for Penn State. It's not going to get any easier. They face the Buckeyes this weekend, like we said. It's going to be rough. 
it's gonna be rough for them. I actually disagree with you. I think that I think that the Devin Ford one was worse because interesting because they were already up, right? Mm-hmm. So like Todd Gurley scores, they go ahead. Even with that, the Lions still needed a like miracle completion that was what twenty eight yards, barely yeah. a catch. They were lucky that there wasn't that they ruled it a catch on the field because if it wasn't, it would have been a 10-second runoff. Then they get this TJ Hawkinson touchdown, and then they get a, uh, a penalty, and they have to hit a 48-yard extra point to win it. So, like, a lot had to go right for them. And, sure. and sure, a lot had to go right for Indiana. They had to get a two-point conversion too. But if Devin Ford just, like, falls on the ground, if I'm not mistaken, there was a minute 40 on the clock. It was first and – it was first down, and there was a – it was one of those weird spots where I think they were on the 12-yard line. So, the two-yard line was a first down, and uh, uh, you could get a touchdown – or you could get a first down without getting a touchdown. So, they were in that spot. Indiana had one timeout. So, even if he just falls down, Indiana uses that timeout. If, if Penn State takes two knees, they run the clock to fourth down and – 20 seconds and then Indiana gets the ball back with at most 20 yeah. seconds, no timeouts. I think that personally the Devin Ford one was worse, but mm-hmm. in terms of people, like, I guess in context, you can argue in context, you can argue that Todd Gurley was, was worse because he had literally just seen this thing happen the night before. Yeah. Oh, and, yeah. <laughs> and it was funnier to watch him like, dive and then try to not score whereas uh Ford just like walks in the end zone and then realizes like as soon as he stepped across the line he was like oh crap like yeah I should not have done that so I think it was worse given game score and the fact that it was needed less than the girly touchdown was and the girly touchdown people are assuming that the Falcons were going to make the field goal they probably would have it's an NFL kicker and such but yeah in terms of the two-point conversion play and the diving for the pylon. Here's – I've calmed down a little bit from Saturday night because Saturday night neither of us was very happy about that call. I think some of it may have had to do with some uh, money line implications. Um, maybe. It, maybe just a little bit. But, <laughs> but what I will say is I've come to the conclusion I think it is more likely that the ball – crossed the plane of the goal line inside of the pylon than it is that it hit the pylon before it bounced on, on the turf. Do you agree with that? See, I think I can agree with where you're seeing that, but the angle, the most popular angle, which is the sideline angle, which is the worst one to look at. And it's the one Fox sports showed us like 30 times watching that. And it's like, this isn't going to show anything conclusive of what we can see this isn't going to show us if the tip of that football is really crossing the goal line before his knee is a down or the ball is b down as well so when i look at it from the side and i have this clip pull up on twitter and i freeze frame it to the exact spot where i want to talk about he's reaching his trying to think of the way he's turned it's either his right or left knee one of his knees is down his right knee his knee was his left leg so i have it frozen here and I, it, this is so bad because you guys can't see it. But what I'm seeing is that football, 
from the angle you look at, it looks like it's completely behind that white line. It's his arm is out. The football is on the ground. His legs on the ground. It you can't tell if it's passed or not. And the foot, it, it's just it, everything that you look at from that freeze frame. If I was to screenshot it and send it to everybody listening right now, and you looked at it, you could definitely see why it's okay. That's a terrible call. It looks like he's not in, but it's a bad angle, right? And I, I'm gonna trust the people that have the access to every single camera angle inside of that stadium, inside of that every little pylon camera. Who even know, I mean, who knows what they've got down there that we don't get to see on the broadcast, wherever they review plays from it. So I'm going to try and, and like I said, it's a call that at the end of the day, you can't really be upset about because the situation shouldn't even have been there in the first place. So controversial, yes, but I can definitely see both ways. Like I said, Saturday night, I was definitely all in on the boat, like BS call. This sucks. Fire these refs. The refs probably had Indiana money line, something like that. Right. But now giving it a, giving it a few days to steam off, um, it, it's not that big of a deal. It, it's a great, it, unbelievable play by Penix to even have the wherewithal to get outside like that and then stretch for the goal line with the angle he was taking. I mean, he had 120% of his momentum going into that sideline and somehow still manages to dive forward and reach to even make it close. I mean, that's just sick, man. Like, that's just sick. So, so I think that, okay, part of it, part of it also, though, is like, if you're going to have a call go in a super controversial fashion, I think you'd rather actually have, like if you're the big 10, I know it's not ideal to have Penn state almost out of the discussion for the playoff after week one. Yeah. Um, unless they come back and beat Ohio state this week and then like run the table and whatever, which regardless of that super challenging situation, you almost would rather have this moment for Indiana and just let them it's their it's they're now two and 22 all time against Penn State so let them have their little fun um good for them I will just say in terms of like actual game analysis the like best stuff we saw all day from Sean Clifford was when he was moving around in the pocket and either scrambling like that touchdown run I think it was what the 35 yards, 30 yards, something like that. Mm-hmm. In and out of defenders. He was getting downfield blocks from his receivers. He looked really good there. I think that they have to like incorporate more of the Trace McSorley stuff for him Be, and, and stop treating him like he's Christian Hackenberg and start treating him like he's Trace McSorley. Because when he was running the ball, it helps out the other running backs, especially with – no Noah Kane because he left for the foot injury. Journey Brown, we already know the medical issue. He's not playing either. So they're they're on their third string running back. So it stinks, but they probably need to use uh, Sean Clifford, his legs, more. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. It just looked like at times when, you know, Clifford wasn't running the ball, Penn State's offense just looked very, very stagnant. Wasn't really going anywhere. And it's an Indiana defense that isn't stifling by any means. I mean, they played, I mean, they played way above, obviously, their rating, I would say, for what we would put them as a defense. But, you know, like you said, this is still a game. Penn State wasn't the prettiest. Sure, COVID, late season starting practice, it's not going to be pretty, but definitely concerning seeing, you know, how bad that offense looked without, and like what you said, 
if Sean Clifford starts running the ball more when he's mobile, it looks more fluid because he's able to create more stuff, puts a lot more pressure on the defense. It just seemed like it was kind of stale other than that. Yeah. If we're, t- if, if we're going to talk about other quarterbacks who their mobility kind of changes the offense, let's talk about Joe Milton, Michigan. They dominated Minnesota, 49-24 win. Um, our friend Jack Johnson was extremely excited on Saturday evening. Uh, watching his his Wolverines, it looks like they might have a difference maker quarterback. I saw him compare uh, on Sunday. He was comparing Joe Milton, and he was saying that he was the best dual threat quarterback Michigan's had since Devin Gardner. That's definitely not arguable. He's significantly better than Shea Patterson was, in my opinion. Um, mm-hmm. I think the important thing to note is that this is actually the first quarterback that has started for Jim Harbaugh at Michigan that he recruited out of high school. And that's crazy to me because he's considered this quarterback whisperer. He had Kaepernick, he had Kaepernick in the NFL. He had Andrew Luck at Stanford. Um, He's had all these guys and maybe he's finally found somebody at Michigan. Yeah. That's a great point you bring up because, and I don't know what it, I mean, whether, you know, it was Patterson or, you know, John O'Corn, Jesus. Um, <laughs> Wilton Spade, Wilton Spade. Yeah, I mean, just all the characters that the Wolverines have had at QB the last few years under Harbaugh. And, you know, it really did feel like that this was his quarterback because I've never seen a Michigan offense, well, at least under, the, under Harbaugh, I haven't seen a Michigan offense move this smoothly and this efficiently. And it looks like because – Harbaugh's finally got his guy that wants that he wants to run the offense he wants to run. He's got a guy in Milton that, like I mean, like I mentioned, I thought when we picked game picks, I said Minnesota's going to win. I don't know what to expect out of Joe Milton. I know what to expect out of Tanner Morgan, Rashad Bateman, and that entire Gophers offense. And frankly, they just got played, and Milton played a really damn good game. I, I'm a huge fan of what they've got going on in their backfield with Haskins and Charbonnet. They looked incredible. Milton obviously looked great running the ball too. And they've got and they've got talent all across the board at wide receiver. And then obviously Michigan's always had a solid defensive unit. That's no different. Sacks, I mean, they they were all over the place. You know, they had a pick. This is this Michigan team's dangerous. I'm I'm not gonna sit here and go on hot take and jump on the Wolverines bandwagon after taking after breaking the boat, as I'd like to say, and stopping <laughs> stopping our ghosts. But, you know, I will say this team's going to be impressive this year, and I think they are going to be a lot better than I personally expected them coming in. I think a lot better than people thought coming in. Because I just think people probably didn't expect Joe Milton to be this good. This kid's going to have a pretty solid career in the maze in blue. Uh, I'm excited to see what he does. That game was heartbreaking to watch, though. I was really hyped by the Ghost. But, you know, if if, if Ghosts were going to lose, at least we're seeing – a Michigan team that actually looks alive and doesn't just look like, oh, they're just going to be run of the mill and then they get to Ohio State and get blown out. At least they'll be entertaining to watch before they potentially get blown out by Ohio State. Not really anything off the table, but again, I just don't think that there's any team outside of maybe Alabama and Clemson that compete with a program like that. So uh, looking forward to Michigan. I like what I saw. Yeah, I think that – so we – we are guilty of a lot of the times not having or not allowing ourselves to step back and have some context. I think that there is a very solid middle ground between 
Michigan is a college football playoff team and Michigan is a pretender who is beating up on bad big 10 teams and that they are, I would say that they are better than they have been and they are more legitimate in terms of posing a threat, at least to score against Ohio state than they have in a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, But let's also still see it against Wisconsin in a couple weeks and against Penn state and then against Ohio state. So, and for that matter, let's see them go out and repeat the performance against uh, another bad Michigan state team who lost to Rutgers on Saturday. So let's see what that happens. I mean, Joe Milton, 15 for 22, 225 yards, touchdown, eight carries for 52 yards and a touchdown rushing. I read a story uh, this week in the athletic by Nick Baumgartner. Um, and he was writing about Josh Gaddis's offense and said that in the piece, it said that the offensive staff for Michigan, one of the benefits of COVID for them was that they spent all the time they would have spent recruiting on the road. They spent that time revamping the offense and centering it around Milton. And so it looks like it's worked out. And I know that it's pretty sure it's Gaddis's second, like second phase of the offense is what they're calling it. But if it's really like a true overhaul, this could be like a, a I mean, it's not going to be to the same level, but it could be a Joe Brady type impact where we're seeing a Michigan offense that's like just completely different from what our brain expects in the same way that LSU just like aerating it all year last season was just so unexpected for a team that we were so used to just going smash mouth football every Saturday. Yeah. And I think you could definitely tell that Michigan spent a lot of time changing up the way they're going to be calling plays because I mean, just watching in the last few years, Shea Patterson under center and you go this team, I mean, they were a defensive team. I mean, Patterson's a decent QB, but you had weapons. I mean, Donovan Peoples Jones just played actually a great game for the Browns last Sunday mm-hmm. in a game where they lost Odell Beckham Jr. And, you know, they had weapons, man. It, but the same play, I mean, it just be it would just be the classic defensive style team offense. They just run, they'd run whenever they could and pass when they had to. And it was just too predictable at times and I think really limited the potential of what Michigan could have done. I'm not saying this team was a, a top ten worthy opponent or, or anything like that, had a chance to knock on the door of the, the college football playoff, but and with more dynamic play calling, what they have now, I think that offense could have been opened up more. And now you're seeing it and what this team can really do. Now you have an offense that can put up points and you still keep that defensive mindset. It's, it's a pretty deadly combo. And they executed it to perfection on a Saturday night. And I don't think they could have done it in a better time. So let's see if they can keep doing it going forward. Like you said, Penn State, Wisconsin, Ohio even, State. Even, even in two weeks, they play at Indiana, which now we know yeah. is is a team that can, can give them a test. So let's see. So that'll be, I mean, November 7th, which is next Saturday um, or the, the second Saturday from now after we record this um, shaping up to be a really, a really good day where we're going to get ASU USC. We'll get Clemson, Notre Dame. We'll get Michigan, Indiana. There's going to be some good games. So super excited for that. Um, Friday night, all the buzz was in Madison, Wisconsin. Graham Mertz, a guy who is the pride of Overland Park, Kansas. Some are saying he's the second best thing to ever come out of that town. 
Some are saying he's the first. I don't know. There's a lot of debate. There's a lot of debate. Um, who's, who's the, who is the other option? Myself. Okay, yeah, I'd agree. <laughs> I honestly agree with that, too. Either that or, uh, or, either that or Brown. Christian Brown. Or, yeah, or, CB. Or, or Clayton Custer when he went to the Final Four with Loyola Chicago. Um, Mertz was not <laughs> Mertz was dominant, though, 20 of 21, 248 yards, five touchdowns. Um, that was the first full game I had watched him play since he played in high school against, like, first full game I had seen. Of course, I'd seen highlights, but first full game I had watched since he put up six touchdowns against my high school um, in in Overland Park, probably, what would that have been, 20, fall of 2018, so a good two years ago. But Wisconsin beat Illinois 45-7. to seven. Then Graham tested positive for COVID on Saturday. So the, the program shut down this morning. Uh, they're not going to play Nebraska this, this week, which I think is a pretty large testament to the fact that the Big Ten should have, I will say this, they should have, in my opinion, kept their schedule that they had released early where they had all of these bye weeks planned into the schedule and they would have been able to move things around. They would have had all of these different contingency plans. And now they don't have any spots to move games. So we just are not going to get Nebraska versus Wisconsin. We might not get Wisconsin against Purdue next week. Um, now Mertz has to quarantine for 21 days. So let's talk first about his performance. And I will say for you, as someone who had had – truly never seen him play before and was just hyping him based off of uh, what you had heard from people like me. <laughs> what, what surprised you most? I, honestly, man, I, I think it's just the difference that a, a, an actual quarterback with a, an arm can bring to Wisconsin's offense. I mean, we, we talked about it. Jack Cohn just wasn't the dude. John, imagine I just can't, I just can't stop thinking. The number one thing I can't stop thinking about after last uh, Friday night was, man, what what would Wisconsin looked like if we had like? And obviously, Graham Mertz has played one game, so who knows? Like he could have just had the game of his life. Doubt it. He looked really good, um, and I expect more. He's still so young. And what would he have looked like if they had Jonathan Taylor in that backfield and that offense from last year? Like this team would have been sick. They would have been so dirty. But even then, like, you can just still see now Wisconsin's still always super talented up front on the offensive line. They always have good running backs. They even just can – they can field out decent receivers. They just really never had a QB to open it up. I mean, they had Russell Wilson. And then after that, it's just been like, eh. But now it looks like with Mertz, he goes out there. And I was just so surprised how poised he was going in. This is a team last year that had a 13-point lead against Indiana in the second half, and they blew it last year. And you could just tell that offense just isn't the same. Cone couldn't – you obviously you just can't maintain possessions when a quarterback can't open up. They got predictable and they end up losing this game. Now, flip the script. A year later, they went 45-7. It's not close. Graham Mertz, I think five TD passes he finished with, right? I think it was five. Nuts. And I, I, shared, I shared a tweet. I know you saw it. Um, that got, got, got a little bit of love from Badger Twitter. Uh, I said, I said, Wisconsin or hashtag Wisconsin with Graham Mertz or without Graham Mertz. It was like this cute little picture of a badger with like little puppy eyes. And it was just like a really nice looking badger. And then I, and then I was like, 
versus Wisconsin with Graham Mertz, and it was like this angry, rabid, like probably just savage badger showing its teeth. Got a little bit of love, but it's honestly the way it looks because now teams teams always knew Wisconsin was just a defensive juggernaut, and that's really all they had to fear. I mean, yeah, just stop, John, just don't let Jonathan Taylor run all over you, which is obviously easier said than done because he still did it to plenty of teams last year. Um, but they didn't have to fear Jack Cohn. They didn't have to fear the pass. So now you do, and it's like, okay, what? How are you gonna? What are you gonna do against this team? It's kind of like the same thing you look at with Michigan. Now there's just this dynamic with them offensively. They were already so good defensively. Now they have an offense. Now they have a quarterback. It's like, oh my goodness, how are we gonna? How are you gonna beat a team like that? So seeing two teams go Michigan and Wisconsin go from stale offenses and very mediocre quarterbacks to two quarterbacks that just bring so much more dynamic to the offense and then they can still play the defensive style. It's going to be – I'm looking for – I mean, this year it's going to be fun, but, man, next year and the year after with those guys and those teams seeing what they can do, it's going to be interesting. And Ohio State going to have to keep up with that because they're going to lose fields after this year. They're gonna have to, I mean, Ohio State's going to figure it out. Everyone will be fine. They'll be fine. They'll be fine. But I'm interested to see how these two programs, Wisconsin and Michigan, are going to rise to the occasion now that they've got these offenses and they got the quarterbacks they want and they're going to have them for a couple of years. How are they going to do? How are you going to, what are you going to do to make yourself on Ohio state's level? Cause I think now these two programs with these quarterbacks have the potential to do that. So that was kind of my biggest takeaway from him. Graham Mertz, he's very poised for his age. And there was someone on Twitter that asked me after that and said, do you think, you know, he's going to have the leadership? I said, I don't care about leadership. This kid's a redshirt freshman. He's going to get leadership the more he plays and look what he's doing out there against a team that they should be beating this bad. And he goes out there and does the job 45-7, composed from the start. Job, job, like, didn't take any snaps off from the start to the finish, no matter what the score was. I don't need to see much more than that out of a guy that young. He's already got it. And he's just going to get better at it once the more confidence he gets and the more comfortable he gets being the guy of this team, which he will be for the next couple of years. Yeah, I think it's – I don't think it's fair to Jack Cohn to say – that Graham should have played last year. No, it's not. We don't really know what he would have needed development-wise in terms of time and experience. But what I will say is it seems like the throws that are always there to be made are the deep ones and the play-action game and what what the run game for Wisconsin does sets up for the pass game. It suits what Graham does well extremely well so I think he fits very well into the offense I would love to have seen what he looked like with Jonathan Taylor not going to happen I think Nakia Watson is still more than capable of producing Garrett Groshek is also very good and as a fullback receiver is pretty decent too they they kind of use him in kind of like a Kyle Juszczyk role or something something sort of similar to that um mm-hmm. It's disappointing to know that we're probably not going to get Mertz for two games, but he could. I think somebody said based on when he went into quarantine, he could return potentially for the Michigan game. Granted, he would be doing it with no practice time. So that would be a little a little interesting. But um, – or actually, I don't know how it, how it works in terms of – I think it's 21 days off from playing, and so therefore he could play. But the quarantine 14 days means he would get to practice if he passes, like, the hard exams that the Big Ten is doing um, that last week. 
I don't know what the, the case is. I just know in terms of touching on the leadership aspect that you were talking about in the athletic story from Friday night that I had read, they said at one point, uh, I think it was Ferguson, he was quoted as saying like, they ran the same play four times in a row and Graham entered the huddle on the fourth time. And he was like, well, boys, guess what we're running again. <laughs> and, and then, got that monster. yeah. So it, it seems like it's working and, and it is exciting because if the big 10 is just going to be Ohio state rolling teams, it's not going to be any fun. So we need Wisconsin to have a quarterback. We need Michigan to have a quarterback. We need uh, Sean Clifford to play up to his, up to his potential and, and Penn state to really surround him with all the talent, which they've done on the defensive side of the ball. It's just all about finding weapons like they've had in, in guys like KJ Hamler, Deshaun Hamilton, Allen Robinson, those kind of, kind of receivers over the last five, 10 years, whatever it is, they need to find those guys to be around Clifford. Um, we will talk about that game in the game picks uh, upcoming, but let's talk a little bit in the ACC. Uh, I think we know that, Things are heading in the direction of Clemson kind of steamrolling their way through the conference. We'll see what they look like in two weeks against Notre Dame. But the other day, Trevor Lawrence was quoted as ta- quoted talking about um, his desires to leave the NF- leave for the NFL draft, leave Clemson after this year as a junior. Um, he started since his freshman year. He won the national title as a freshman when he took over for Kelly Bryant. Um, and I think the the quote was something along the lines of who knows, like what's going to happen. I don't, I haven't like ruled it out him in, in terms of staying. So I will say if he, if the New York jets go Owen 16 and we can have a little NFL discussion to go along with this right here. Um, should Trevor Lawrence a stay in school or B B um, pull an Eli Manning and ask for a trade or C, uh, just accept his fate and go to the Jets and try to be like a a yeah. organization fixer. Yeah, and this is the same. I don't think the discussion is the same, but it's similar because there were murmurs about people thinking Joe Burrow should do the same thing as should he avoid the Bengals. And I was on the boat of no because I don't think the Bengals – they had just gotten Zach Taylor – new coach, offense, like there was, they had a direction they wanted to go and to get that direction. They needed Joe Burrow and look what he's doing this year. He's I think either second, no third in the NFL in passing yards right now as a rookie. I mean, he's been very impressive. Like I'm sure we all expect him out of our guy, Joey buckets after what we saw last year. No surprise to us here. But the thing with the jets that makes this conversation very relevant and actually a realistic option that Trevor Lawrence could stay or be pull an Eli Manning and go, I don't want to play here. Trade me. Um, it's the fact that the jets with under Adam Gase have nowhere to go, but and I don't understand why they haven't fired Gase yet. And I, I don't know why, He's just – I don't know what they believe in him. He's – in my opinion, and I'm not a football guy, I hate being acting like I know everything, but from what I've seen, he's just not the coach for the job. I'm not going to sound here to say he's a terrible coach. He's made very questionable decisions that would give me reason to say that, but it just doesn't seem like he's the fit. He doesn't fit – he doesn't fit the culture they want to bring. First of all, the culture they have there right now sucks. Um, 
and, and just they don't have I mean they have some player I mean CJ Mosley opted out this year at COVID they had Le'Veon Bell Sam Darnold's a promising quarterback but they're not getting anything out of these guys because they're not buying into the system they don't trust Adam Gase Le'Veon Bell hated them so I mean it was a mutual hate so that's my problem so if I'm Trevor Lawrence and I'm sitting there if Adam Gase is the coach of the New York Jets, I'm either A, staying in school, or B, demanding a trade. And if I don't get traded, I'm just not going to sign my contract. When they, cause when they draft him, I'm not going to sign my rookie deal and just figure it out after that. Because I, I can't I – mean, you don't put yourself in that position because it just seems like when everything Adam Gase touches with that organization just goes to trash. But if the Jets do the right thing and they fire Gase and they actually get a coach that can put this team in the right direction and implement the culture that they, could, that they need, they'd be able to trade Sam Darnold to a team like the Washington football team, the Bears could use him. There's plenty of teams that are suitors for a quarterback like Sam Darnold that still has plenty of potential. He's just on the Jets. Like, that's the only problem. Like, Darnold actually is impressive as a player, but hasn't had the chance to grow on the rate people expected him to because he's stuck with Adam Gase and the Jets. So I don't like if I'm Trevor Lawrence. I've seen that. I've seen him ruin a quarterback already that had a ton of potential coming out of college, and I wouldn't make the same mistake. But if they fire him and they get a guy that actually has a sense of direction, I think you just go in and you be the guy that turns that franchise around because there is some value in that. And I think as long as there's the right coach there, they're going to get it right sooner rather than later. But I, with Adam Gase there. I, I do not. I would not blame him at all for going back for another year. Yeah, I found the quote. So he said. So in in September, he was saying he's always approached this as being his last year at Clemson. On, mm-hmm. I think it was yeah. On Tuesday, he said, "quote My mindset has been that I'm going to move on, but who knows? There's a lot of things that could happen." So here's here's the way I see it. There's a zero null percent chance that Adam Gase is actually still the head coaches for the Jets next year. So if, if Trevor Lawrence thinks that it's an organizational issue and that it's structural from the top down, he's not going to want to play there um, mm-hmm. unless he's just oddly built in that sense and like wants to fix dysfunction, uh, which doesn't seem like something a 21 year old should want to do uh, or should be seeking out. So I could foresee it. I think that it's more likely that he would, I think it's personally more likely that he would stay in school than ask for a trade personally. Yeah. Yeah, Um, In large part because, okay, so I think people need to slow their role on the whole Dabo probably Dabo wants to go get an NFL job. Dabo, if he wants to, is going to want to coach Trevor Lawrence or Deshaun Watson. It's like maybe Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence signed up for three, four years of Dabo, and they don't want 15 years of Dabo. And and so maybe Deshaun Watson would rather have an Eric Bieniemy type or something something to that extent. Um, I don't think you can worry about the Adam Gase situation because I don't think he'll still be there. Yeah. Um, and I don't think he'll be there, especially if Le'Veon Bell, who looked relatively explosive um, on Sunday for the Chiefs on like three – he had three rushes, and two of them would have been his second and third longest runs as a Jet since he had left the Steelers. So he still has something in the tank. And the, they're just not going to let their franchise 
the, the keys to their franchise be given to Trevor Lawrence and have Adam Gase still be in charge of that. Um, I mean, you mentioned with Sam Darnold, I think there's still like impressive traits from Sam Darnold and maybe he came out too early because he, I think he only had. Yeah. He had one more year left. Yeah. And, and he, but he only had like 20 starts at USC, yeah. whereas Lawrence is somewhere in the thirties or yeah. after this year. So I don't think that's a problem. I, I still think he's going to end up going to the league. I also think we should maybe, I don't know. Cause I, I don't, I guess I don't remember enough about 2004 to know what type of kid Eli Manning was in college and whether he was just yeah. being controlled by his dad. Um, and, and he's, you also have to factor in the fact that, the Chargers had ruined Ryan Leaf, which was in Peyton Manning's draft. Um, and so there was added there's there was an added dynamic to the Manning family there where they thought he was gonna get mismanaged. But I think ultimately Trevor Lawrence is gonna dominate again this year and he's gonna move on and he's gonna be great. Um and I had really not third hot or not thought of the Joe Burrow angle that you brought, but it's a pretty good one because the the Bengals have had organizational questions in the past couple of years, but they they're also not that far removed from being a relatively sturdy place with Marvin Lewis, who was competing in the AFC North frequently. And the Jets, I know that they've been very bad for a very long time, but they also went to an AFC title game a couple times with Mark Sanchez. So, and it's a big, it's a big market that people are willing to play in. They just have to be smarter with who they give their money to and hope that guy, hope that guys also don't opt out due to COVID at, at times too. So yeah. it's, it's an unfortunate situation, but I think we should also recognize that we do have one of the best quarterbacks in college football history playing right now and we should enjoy him while we have him in the sport as well and hopefully he's wearing purple and gold and uh green and black next year how many wins do the vikings have one one in five this week it's gonna be one in six all you gotta hope is that uh the jets fluke their way into a couple wins at some point maybe they could (laughs) maybe they could beat the the patriots or something but hey the patriots are lurking there at two losses so um, yeah, I do think I do think that this year is the bottom of the league is the bottom and the top are really good in the NFL in such a way that zero or one losses is definitely getting the first pick. It's not going to be a two and fourteen year getting the number one overall pick. So, all right, let's talk. Let's do game picks for this week. Um, we have Peyton's picks. Let me pull them up. We had. Peyton took some shots last week. He went eight and two. We went six and four. And so all of us are tied at 33 and 17. So with that being yeah. said, let's start Friday night. He is one and zero in his debut as Hawaii head coach, former ASU head coach, Todd Graham and the rainbow warriors traveling to Wyoming. Who you taking? So last week, we didn't even talk about it on game picks, but it was 
Trevor Leaf, known known for being co-host on the Money Line and also for being my degenerate gambling roommate, because um, he's like, dude, we're all over Wyoming, and I I was like, okay, I don't know why I, I haven't I don't I didn't know a ton about Wyoming football going into the Mountain West first week after you know delayed start to the season, and I was like, you know, and they're playing Nevada, let's 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 tune it right. I'm not watching the game and I hear that I mean they're retiring Kaepernick's jersey and I text I, I texted in our money line group chat I said Kaepernick going into the Nevada Hall of Fame tonight Wolfpack probably a mortal lock <laughs> and Trevor's <laughs> like no way no way and I was like dude I don't know and then why am I end up losing so that I mean that's tough for them uh, so I don't know much about this game it's where I mean Hawaii I, it really and truly it's just the Mountain West is crazy, and it's fun. I'm just going to ride with Hawaii because how can you not ride with the Bows? I think – I don't know. I don't know. Hawaii. They have talent. <laughs> they still they, – here's my thing. They still have talent. It's not like – it's – they – sometimes you just have to think about it in this sense. They didn't lose their coach because their coach was bad. They lost their coach because their coach got a promotion and went to a Pac-12 school. And they had – and they added a guy in Todd Graham who has a history, like it or not, he was very good when he first started at ASU. Mm-hmm. He, he was good at coaching ASU when he had other guys' players. And then he started recruiting and, and started to really deteriorate the talent in the program to some extent. And he just at some point stopped deciding to coach defense. So that hasn't happened yet at Hawaii. So I'm going to take Hawaii as well. Peyton is taking Wyoming. Uh, this week he decided to throw a fit. Um, I'm saying this because he's, yeah. he's he's not going to listen, so I'm going to say this. He threw a fit. He wanted to hear our picks first before he sent in his. So if he, if he goes against us, you just know that he's trying to gain ground again. Um, yeah. And it, it feels like we're kind of fighting him in a two-on-one situation. I feel a little a little bad, but these are the cards that he dealt himself. So – I don't, yeah. know what, I don't know what to tell you. He doesn't, he doesn't get to sit here and complain about throwing Hail Mary passes and then not scoring, not scoring touchdowns here. <laughs> it doesn't, I don't make my picks based off, oh, Peyton's taking a risk here. Oh, I'm going to change my pick. No, I, I make my picks based off solely who I think is going to win the game, whether I know a ton about the team or not, a.k.a. A- Hawaii, Wyoming. <laughs> I like the Bows. I'm riding with the Bows. I could care less if Peyton picked Hawaii or if he picked Wyoming. But he's like, no, no, no. So well, we play. We 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 made we made amends and put our picks in first. It, at the end of the day, it's not a big deal, in my opinion. But we'll talk about the next game. <laughs> All right, game number two, American Athletic Conference. This one is relatively important. It's Memphis and number seven Cincinnati. Desmond Ritter was really good on Saturday night. Dominated SMU in. I think the I think it was a twenty plus point win. Um, Peyton's taking Cincy. I'm also going to take Cincy. Uh, they're at home. They're the seventh ranked team in the country. They're getting some playoff buzz. People are thinking they can slide in there as the fourth team, largely because they dominate on defense and they have a dual threat quarterback who poses some decent problems for them for for defenses and. I just can't see a I, – I can envision Cincinnati stopping Memphis's offense. I can't envision 
Memphis stopping Cincinnati's. Yeah, and the pick here is Cincy. And if you haven't tuned in to Cincinnati football, because they're not in a Power 5 conference, you need to start doing it. Because, like you said, Desmond Ritter has been very impressive this year. I mean, when a kid goes for eight carries and 179 yards, that's a 22.4 average yard per carry. Mind you, he's the quarterback. And he's going to say your sack yardage, too. Yeah, exactly. And I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, he's this most dynamic passer, but he's definitely suitable to do what Cincinnati wants to do, which is obviously run this dual threat rushing attack, kind of like the Ravens like to do with Lamar Jackson. Yeah, is Lamar Jackson capable of of throwing the football? Absolutely. But what's their game plan? Run, 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 run. And they can do it with two different guys in the backfield. That's always hard to stop. And I, I think the playoff buzz is warranted. This, not to admit, with their offense being so dynamic and so intricate, they've got, an, they got a great defense. Shane Bouchel and the Ponies, those boys can put up points. You and I know this more than anybody. We love betting the overs in SMU football. And they shut them down on the road. Shane Bouchel is a quarterback that's going to get drafted at some point in this next year NFL draft. He just got locked down by the Cincinnati defense. This team's legit. I went against them last week, and they proved me wrong. And I don't think Brady White and Memphis is the team that they could, you know, potentially like, oh, I'm going to get burned here. But Cincinnati's the play here. They're a very good team. I honestly hope they get that fourth spot for the playoff because I think it's really interesting to see. A not, I mean, it would be – I don't want to go off here. Would it be the first time a non-Power 5 team made the playoff? Other than Notre Dame as an independent. Notre Dame. I guess, yeah, but – Notre Dame's a little bit but different. But it has to happen. It's, it, has, it has – if it – like, if it's not going to happen this year, if we have – like, Oklahoma State, we can talk about them uh, later because we have them on our game picks, and we can talk about what we thought about them since Iowa State. If they if they lose, if, if Notre Dame takes not one but two losses to Clemson, and if Florida and Georgia kind of fall apart mm-hmm. or – or beat up on each other. If it's not going to happen this year, then you're admitting that the college football playoff is power five only, or you need to expand it to eight. Um, And that's a discussion for another day. Let's talk a little big 12, number 16, Kansas state traveling to Morgantown. They are the ranked team. And so if West Virginia wins, people will say it's an upset, but, but Kansas state is actually the gambling underdog, according to the wise guys, Vegas, Peyton is taking West Virginia. He's taking Neil Brown and the Mountaineers. Who do you have? This was actually really tough for me to pick because, yeah, Kansas State, they beat Oklahoma, who we've already both can agreed on as a consensus that it's not the team we thought they were. They looked they're a lot decent. better. They're decent. They're they decent. They're they're decent. decent. They, have, they have Spencer Rattler and, and uh, Lincoln Riley, you know, they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna be a decent team just with those two alone. Not to mention everything else they have. But you know they go out there and they beat Kansas. And I'm sorry, Gabe. I know uh, you know I know not you love, me. love your Jayhawks more in the basketball side than football. Um, but you know a win like that against the against the Jayhawks isn't that impressive in my eyes. So it, it's a little tough to go in, and obviously they beat up on TCU. So. <sighs> It's tough for me because West Virginia on the road is always a tough matchup. I think I'm going to ride Kansas State, though. It's surprising with their road dogs, 
but like West Virginia is a tough place to go in and play, even with limited fans. Those fans can get rowdy, and you know, it's just, it, it's a tough one because I think this could be a trap game, and it, my my brain's telling me that, but I'm I'm making I'm making this pick with K State, and we're just gonna we're just gonna hope for, we're gonna hope that they're a legit team that actually just isn't beating up on, you know. Or just didn't get lucky against a not as good as usual Oklahoma team, and they uh, just beaten up on bad teams like Kansas. So let's let's hope they're actually can go out and get a tough win on the road. I mean, they also they also beat Texas Tech, who's yeah another another decent but not great team. Here's a couple here's a couple stats. So knowing what we know, uh, and I know that there's not this property where things happened the same way in every game but KU had a had a kick return for a touchdown against West Virginia so special teams for West Virginia who has also had some kicking issues is not necessarily greatest here's what K-State did on Saturday against KU Philip Brooks had four punt returns of greater than 40 yards on Saturday over the last five seasons no Big 12 player had more than two 40-plus yard punt returns in a season. And the guy had four in one game. Um, he had 189 punt return yards in the game. That was two yards short of what KU had as a team combined over the last five seasons for punt return yards. So, Phillip Brooks was incredible. Uh, the special teams, K-State is – claiming to be special teams you there's a lot of evidence supporting that including byron pringle returning a touchdown uh on the kick return against the broncos on sunday for the chiefs and i think special teams you is going to get the job done so i'm taking k-state in what is technically an upset technically actually not even technically it is a gambling upset but it will not be an upset according to rankings quote-unquote we go back to the American, UCF and Houston. This one should be high scoring. Peyton is taking the Knights, as am I. Yeah, it's the right pick here. You know, the American, love watching the American because there's always a lot of points scored. Green Wave and UCF last week, 51-34. Houston's going to be the same way. Team, it's, Houston's looked decent. I mean, their only losses against a BYU team that's frankly pretty good. I think we can say that, you know, their schedule is a little weird, but, you know, they've got, they've got some talent over there. Damn Provo, as weird as that is to say. Um, but we've got <laughs> – I'm taking Zach the Knights. I just – Heisman buzz. Zach Wilson. Zach, yeah, Zach Wilson. Wilson. You know what? Zach Wilson is buzzing. I would love – I mean, this can't happen, but I would absolutely love to see uh, BYU against Cincinnati in a yeah. play-in game to get into the playoff. This is this is exactly. I don't want to get too far off topic because we're doing game picks, but this is where you talk about why don't they expand more playoff teams, man? Zach, the storylines that come in from this, you've got a Cincinnati team out of the American that's running a very intricate, you know, quarterback option run offense with a good defense coming out of a conference that just puts up crap ton of points. They've been a fun team to watch all year. What can they do against the big boys? BYU's got a guy in Zach Wilson that's getting all this Heisman hype, but how is he going to be able to live up to the Heisman hype if he's never going to get a game to show that? He's not going to get a game to show that this year. 
it would have been interesting if they were going to play Arizona State this year like they were originally scheduled to do. Now looking at it, it's like even worse that we don't get to see that game because it would have been insane seeing Zach Wilson against JD5. Would have been insane. But anyways, until the college – until CFP decides to expand to eight teams, which if they never do, will be very upset. This is, this is an opportunity where they miss it with Cincinnati and BYU. Anyways, we're taking the Golden Knights, I believe. <laughs> that's such a weird transition. But we're taking, we're taking UCF. <laughs> I believe in Dylan Gabriel more than – I mean, Houston's okay, but I think UCF obviously offensively is just better than they are in, in the American. That's kind of all you need. All right. We are going to go to the lowest-scoring conference in the country. Surprisingly, a lot of unders are coming from this conference, which is – also very off-brand um, as far as the gambling community goes. TCU and Baylor. Peyton is taking Max Duggan and TCU. I am going to take Dave Aranda and the Baylor Bears in a situation where they are home underdogs. Um, both teams unranked, but Baylor's not the favored team. I think in a low-scoring ugly physical battle i think baylor can get the job done here yeah and i was really battling my own head for the same reason you said i this game i this game screams it's going to be ugly which now that i put that on the universe it's probably going to be just a shootout or something really weird no. so, I mean, normal big 12 no i know but it's just you know griffin kirsten it's not as relevant it still might be a bit real might be a little bit yeah, I don't know. If Gators, I don't know. If, I don't know if Florida loses to Texas A&M on a year where I'm not hyping them up like that. Um, we'll see. We'll see. But I'm going with TCU here. This game screams ugly, and it's honestly, I think you just got to go with the better team. TCU's been the better team this year. Baylor, like you said, you brought it up a few times. Baylor isn't as bad as people think. They just lost one of the best head coaches in college football, who's doing a really damn good job in the NFL of Carolina right now. And you can tell that they miss him because how good of a coach he was. Still a decently talented team, which makes this pick harder, but I'm still going to rank TCU. All right, LSU and Auburn. This one is super confusing. Um, I'm not sure if LSU is going to play Miles Brennan again because they got such a good performance on Saturday night. Granted, it was against a South Carolina defense that was giving up an incredible amount of yards per play. Mm. Um, was not getting any stops. But LSU's defense was also giving up, I think, nine yards per pass, eight yards per rush, and somehow still won by 20-plus. It was the weirdest statistical game. Um, So, Peyton is taking Bo Nix and Auburn. Oh, God. (laughs) I just can't bring myself to do it, even though – and, like, I I, uh, had gone against Auburn – Last week, I thought Ole Miss was going to pull off the home upset. And if the SEC refs didn't make Lane Kiffin so mad and cost him uh, 250 million pennies this week, like he he referenced in his tweets, uh, he, he said that he lost his, son, his son's college fund this week based on responses to the SEC officials. Um, if that hadn't happened, who knows? Maybe Ole Miss does pull off the upset. I think LSU is going to go into Auburn and pull off the win. I think Cocho, hey, his book his book just came out. Let's go. 
His book just came out. So I think that uh, it's going to be a big week for Coach O. I think LSU gets this thing done. <laughs> I got to dive into some Coach O literature to uh, fire me up for this game, for sure. <laughs> um, I am not, not taking hashtag Wobo uh, probably for the rest of the year. Like we said, we have our doubts about LSU. Weird game last week against Gamecocks. Team that I think, honestly, I'm a fan of. I'm a fan of that team, the way they play, their attitude. Honestly, thought they were going to go out there and win last week. Uh, they were my pick on the show, but didn't work out. It's fine. We're going to ride LSU this week. I just kind of hate Auburn, really. That's just really all it comes down to at this point. A team that I was actually, like, kind of liking to start the year, I'm just all off. Like, you on the Spencer Rattler band, like the fan wagon. You're doing the exact same thing that I did to Auburn basketball last year. Is is that like LSU is gonna or sorry Auburn is gonna turn a corner and you're just gonna want to like hate you're gonna hate on it even more. You're gonna say it's 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 not like it's not a real thing that's happening. They're just getting lucky, um, which is totally totally fine. Uh, <laughs> this is this this game this game is like this game is what we is what TCU Baylor is going to be, but this is what we, this is what those teams should be actually named because this is, it's going to be the same exact game just played in the big 10 Northwestern and Iowa. I'm taking Iowa. Peyton is taking Northwestern. <laughs> See, this is what I mean. I, you can't complain when about the situation you bring up first picks. Why? <laughs> Why? You can't he's, – he's on the one-yard line and throwing it all the way to the end zone on some Patrick Mahomes-level kind of arm strength, hoping that it gets caught. Even Patrick Mahomes, I don't think, could throw it. I mean, maybe he can. I just haven't seen it in the game yet. I don't even know if Patrick Mahomes could throw it end zone to end zone on the fly like that. I mean, that's just an impossible throw. And that's kind of what this pick is. It's just impossible, man. I don't know. I was – they didn't look sharp last week. Sure. But they're a better football team than Northwestern, man. And they're at home. Always a tough place to play. And Iowa, I, they're going to win this football game. I, I, that's, just, that's just the way it is, man. I, Northwestern is not, not very good. Like I said, now that I've said this and made it very clear, I'm taking a very clear stance on this one, it's they're probably going to win. So shout out to Peyton in advance if he gets this pick right for me, basically handing it to you with the curse. I think the only – I think the only explanation he has for picking Northwestern is that they have Peyton Ramsey, the former Indiana quarterback now as their, as their quarterback. And so maybe that changes things. They, they did dominate Maryland uh, this past Saturday, but it's yeah, it's Maryland. So who cares? Um, another game he's going to pick an upset in Texas. He's taking Texas against Oklahoma state who thoroughly dominated I will say thoroughly dominated uh, Iowa State. They held Brock Purdy down for at all of the game that mattered, and then Brock Purdy scored a late touchdown. Um, Brees Hall was good. Chuba Hubbard was very good for Oklahoma State. I have my reservations about Spencer Sanders, but if there's one team that's not going to punish Spencer Sanders for being slightly above average and not elite, it's not going to be Texas. They're not the team that's going to cause him problems. No, yeah, I, I, I mean, I've, I've never really fully bought in 
I made it clear I've never really fully bought into the whole Texas is a like good team. I've never really bought into it, and it's been right. They didn't they didn't look good against Baylor last week. They got the win, twenty seven sixteen. They lost TC, lost Oklahoma. They looked bad against Texas Tech the first week. Like this team has just not looked good. I mean, I can't look at this team and be like, oh yeah, they look good here. They haven't looked good really at all all year. And it's maybe it was at the beginning it was a thing like, oh yeah, Sam Ellinger. You know, just getting his feet under him, COVID, everything. Now we've, we've actually gotten into the swing of things, and I'm still feeling the same way. Oklahoma State's a team I really like. I think the way they play, I mean, Spencer Sanders, sure. Say what you want about him. He's getting the job done right now. He kind of had a similar start to what I was saying. You know, played a little shaky to start, but, you know, Chuba Hubbard, things just get easier as you just keep handing on the ball because that man will go out and make plays for you. I don't know how Texas even plans to stop that offense personally, let alone put up enough points against a team like Oklahoma State to compete with that kind of offense. So I'm going to take Oklahoma State. I, Peyton picking Texas, if it hits, it hits. But, man, that is, a, that is a long shot pick. All right. Ohio State and Penn State, and then we will round it out with San Diego State and Utah State. I'm taking Ohio State. Would love to see a competitive game. Would love to see Penn State push him. But I just can't foresee that happening. Peyton has the same thing he has Ohio State. I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and pull up Peyton and be like, oh, yeah, Penn State. No, it's Ohio State's the pick. They're going to win this football game. Like you said, want to see a competitive game. Want to see Sean Clifford and the boys redeem themselves for last week, not looking so good against Indiana, and come out and play, play hard and put up a good game against – a team that I put in now after seeing them just thoroughly dominate last week, even it was Nebraska, sure. But, you know, they, they're clearly on that same tier. Like I talked about Alabama, Clemson, you can throw Ohio State in there and then it's just everyone else. So I think they can join that club. They've, they've punched their ticket into there for now, whatever that means to them that they're in my elite category or whatever. doesn't matter to them. Probably they're going to win this football game. Hopefully Penn State puts up a fight. And then Peyton's on San Diego State. I am also on San Diego State. The only thing I will say is this. I cannot believe that Brady Hoke returned to his head coaching job with San Diego State, which, A, I didn't realize he was the head coach of San Diego State until Saturday night. And, B, he's still not wearing a headset. How has the man not learned? He, he still doesn't wear the headset. Hey, man, who knows? I mean, some people – there's surprisingly some people just aren't on the wave still uh the headset wave doesn't mean we're not taking the aztecs i mean utah state program that had some potential last year they lost jordan love to the nfl clearly they're gonna need to go through some rebuilding they just lost to boise state last week because a pretty solid team so you can't really blame them there but i don't think they get it done this week either san diego state always finds a way to be in in the mix always they're always a pretty decent team i think they won this game on the road go aztecs that wave you're talking about, the wave of using a headset is – like, What? It's been going on for years. It's not even – Yeah, it's not even yeah. a wave. It's more of the standard. He's like deviating. He's deviating from the standard in a college football <laughs> coaching society. He's, but he is, he is the, the lone outlier. He is the lone, the lone deviant, yes. He's the only one on this island. Um, before we go, college basketball in some – Saturn news has just completely blown up the Orlando ESPN bubble games, um, which is just very frustrating news. It was, 
I would say it was kind of predictable in the sense that there's nothing that 32 conferences are all going to agree upon. And that was made more evident by this decision. Um, I don't know if it was more on ESPN or if it was more on different conferences, but it seemed like the Big 12 and SEC had different uh, thoughts on how people should quarantine based on if they'd been in contact with people, all of these things. Super confusing stuff given that everybody was only going to be there for a week most, I think, um, in, in most situations. But instead, now we're getting Gonzaga versus Kansas. We're getting Gonzaga versus Auburn that first, I think, November 25th. And then they're looking for new dates for the Champions Classic to get KU and Kentucky, Duke and Michigan State in. Um, it's frustrating, but I will say um, just having any college basketball will be good. We're going we're gonna to start our previews next week, so I'm excited for that. Um, stay on the lookout for that. But who's your, who's your early number one? Early number one. Wow. Okay. So I think every, everybody's saying Gonzaga, Baylor, or Villanova. So who yeah. you I have a feeling you're not leaning Baylor. No, I'm not leaning Baylor uh, for the reasons you and I know that KU is just superior than last year. And I, I Baylor's going to be a good team. And, you know, Kansas isn't on the same level they were last year. Sure. Kansas still gonna be, Kansas is still going to be contending. And, you know, give me Bill's <laughs> Bill self is going to uh, – figure it out I think but that's besides the point um my early number has got to be Villanova for me but I think Kentucky is actually a team that makes after we talked about it last week they got the transfers coming in they got cleared Kentucky is a team that makes a case for it but I don't think they get past I think Villanova's clear cut probably the best team with Gonzaga I give them I mean I give them the edge they've got I mean they just have so many guys coming back from last year I mean as is Gonzaga but they Gonzaga lost um, they lost a couple guys that maybe we thought would return. It didn't happen. They get a few guys back, and they're going to be really good. But I would go Villanova early, and it does suck we don't get to see these MTEs. But like you said, it's different when the NBA and WNBA bubbles because that's only one governing body you have to deal with. When you're dealing with MTEs and college sports, you have to deal with multiple different governing bodies, and that just makes it a whole lot harder to come for all those different people with all different thoughts and insights on how to handle the COVID-19 situation. Uh, it completely, it just so hard to get everyone to get on the same page like that. And I think that's what ended up happening. I don't think it's more of an ESPN thing. It's definitely the fact that there was probably somewhere between the multiple conferences involved where someone disagreed with someone else and it's getting too close to the date and they just scrapped it. So that's unfortunate because I was really looking forward, you know, to some of those, those, those tournaments and those little games, they'll, round robin action between four teams whatever you know whatever it was going to consist of yeah that's, that's unfortunate because i mean i think the champions classic losing that that's jimmy v classic losing the, or no they're they're playing a they're jimmy v they're they're playing play. location. those are different locations so that's good that's good we're not losing that i couldn't remember exactly all the okay so yeah the events consisted of champions classic charleston myrtle beach nit season tip off wooden Orlando Invitational, Jimmy B Classic, Diamond Head Classic. So two dozen schools involved. That's that's going to be a line, obviously, from varying conferences. That's a lot of different people you got to agree with. So I think now, but yeah, I think now we're going to get a lot of like 
schools just hosting their own, which will be interesting. And I don't know how it's going to work from a, I don't know how that's going to work from a testing perspective. Uh, But it, I think this could be a year where, I mean, Gonzaga, a lot of people think they're going to be the number one team in the country. They have Baylor, Kansas, Iowa, all on the schedule. So that's three teams that people think are going to be in the top 10, probably in the top eight. Um, and they can, they can really prove themselves or they could fall on their face. So we'll see what happens. Um, like I mentioned, conference previews starting next week, we'll do them in mini pods. We may have some guests. Um, I'm pretty sure Peyton will join us. We'll, we'll do uh, all conference ballots. We will do some games. We might do pretenders, contenders, sleepers, um, whatever. We're, we're still working out what we're going to do, but it will be exciting. Once again, thanks for listening to Heat Check. Thanks for joining me, Griffin. It was a lot of fun. Um, good, luck in, good luck in your 2K tourney tonight. Oh, dude, I appreciate that. Yeah, it's a uh... – it's like a, so playing the we're playing so me and four of my friends from home, we uh, we've always played two K together and there's this mode called Pro Am. It's like you pick your my player and it's all it's basically just playing pickup basketball at the gym, but it's virtual. Um, so we we've gotten to the point where we wanted to start kind of doing it competitively and we played in the league. Finished the league is at it's like a hundred something teams. We finished as like the number twenty three seed overall. Got in the playoffs, won our first playoff series on Monday night. We play again tonight against, like, the number 10 team. So, big matchup tonight. Hopefully, uh, we can get it done because uh, there's a little bit, little, bit, little bit of cash involved if we, uh, <laughs> if we play side up. So, that would be nice. Uh, but it, it's fun, so I appreciate that. And uh, it's been a great week. I look forward to getting started with these, these college basketball pods. So excited we're getting that back. And then, obviously, Pac-12 football coming soon. Thank goodness. Yes. We're going to have full college football slate back. We're about to get busy. I'm about to get really busy. Wouldn't have it any other way, man. So appreciate y'all listening and uh, look forward to getting this thing going even more as we start getting back to somewhat normal scheduling with, with college sports. All right. Like, rate, review, subscribe. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Blaze Radio presents He Heat Check is that time. Sunday or Monday, you know that we flex. True. You can never make it more obvious. You checking for the heat, that's cold. That's cold, that's cold. Headed to the top of the top of this. You can never reach uh, these in the booth and we spin the truth. Hey. We inspire the youth and we get to the loop. You do what it does and we do what it do. We turn to the max and they got you on mute. You. Ooh, flow so high, so you know hey. I had to run it back. Blazes a ball and we run hey. like a running back. Gabe brought chalk, so you know hey. we having fun with that. Turn you in the off, so you know hey. we ain't no coming back. Now we done with that.